Kia ora, good afternoon. Wallace Chapman here on the panel. Very nice to have your company, as always. Uh, Mark North Thomas and Joe McCarroll with us today. And just a word on this. Charges laid in the wake of the deadly 2019 Fakari White Island eruption will be heard at the Auckland District Court. The trial could last some weeks. It comes after years of preparation. Fakari White Island erupted at 11 past 2 p.m. on December the 9th, 2019. We had then-Mayor Fakatani Judy Turner on just over an hour later on the panel then. 22 people died as a result of the disaster and almost all of the survivors suffered severe or critical injuries. Uh, a live stream of the trial will be available but only to certain people including survivors uh, and victims' families. Now RNZ journalist Amy Williams will be following the trial. Uh, kia ora, Amy. What happened today? Kia ora. Yes, I was at the Auckland District Court. It is being held at the Environment Court, a larger courtroom, um, just due to the expected number of people um, to attend. So there was a mihi whakatau led by Nati Fatua. Um, just to herald in the start of the trial, so they started, they had Waiata, Karakia, and acknowledged the families who were present in the public gallery and the loved ones they'd lost in the disaster. Um, so it lasted about 10 minutes, mm. and then um, the legal teams went into chambers. There's also, as you mentioned, a virtual courtroom set up in Fakatane. so for anyone, locals there, to go along and listen in or be part of the live stream and part of the court case there. Um, so for each hearing so far yeah. in this whole legal proceeding, um, the judge who's presiding over the case, uh, Evangelos Thomas, he has started always with an acknowledgement of the families and the people who who were lost. So what can you explain to us just who is being charged here? Yeah, WorkSafe laid charges in 2020. Um, that was almost a year after the eruption. At the time, there were 13 parties who were charged. Since then, we've had six who have pleaded guilty and one had a charge dismissed. Um, so amongst those who have pleaded guilty are GNS Science, three helicopter tour companies just on Friday at the 11th hour pleaded guilty. So that leaves six uh, parties remaining to face charges. The charges, it should be pointed out, relate to the health and safety failings in the lead up to the eruption, not the actual day or the rescue. Um, and so really who's left is uh, the owners of the island, the Buttle family. Three directors face charges independently, but also their company as the mm. outfit that owned it. And also there are two other tour op- two com- tourism companies that acted more as booking agents. Very good. Uh, and you'll be keeping RNZ no doubt up to date across the weeks with this uh, pretty significant uh, trial. Amy Williams, kia ora. Thank you. Uh, it is 11 past for the panel RNZ National. Well, it's been a long time coming. After more than a decade, pen has finally been put to paper with the signing of the free trade deal with the European Union. It'll eventually deliver billions of dollars of export savings. Immediate tariff elimination for all kiwi fruit, wine, onions, apples, manuka honey, as well as for all fish, seafood, other products. Eventually, 97% of New Zealand's current exports to the EU will be duty-free. Stephen Jacoby is Executive Director of the New Zealand International Business Forum. He's a trade expert. Kia ora, Stephen. Kia ora, Wallace. Good to be with you. Good to have you here. How significant will this be for New Zealand, Stephen? 
Well, this is a significant agreement. Uh, it's uh, obviously with the European Union, a market of 450 million consumers, an economy of $27 trillion, uh, a discerning uh, group of consumers, uh, many of whom want to buy products uh, from New Zealand, and we have a lot of interest, obviously, in EU investment and other things. So, yes, uh, a significant agree- agreement across those sectors that you mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, of course, as we might go on to talk about, it doesn't cover some other sectors mm. that are also uh, important to us, or rather doesn't cover completely some of those other sectors. Well, let's jump in for the panel, Joe. Well, I don't want to um, not celebrate this. You know, I think we do want to celebrate cooperation and collaboration when it happens, when we it feels like we hear so much about sort of discord and disconnection. But Stephen, I just wondered if, if perhaps there's a lifespan on these sorts of supply chains. Uh, we're sending goods to the other side of the world, whether or not that's truly a sustainable practice. Well, I do think that there are a lot more questioning about that sort of thing, uh, of course, and New Zealand uh, trade, lives and trades on its own record in producing goods, you know, in a, in a environmentally sustainable manner. Uh, so, yes, I mean, I think that that is going to be a factor in the future. Uh, but to the extent that New Zealand can convince consumers that buying from us is yeah. a sustainable option because our carbon footprint is less than it would be if they bought it from elsewhere, that can actually play into our favour. Mm. I fully celebrate the growing diversification of our international markets and FTA because we do need to make sure we're spreading ourselves all over the place and not just relying on a couple of baskets in terms of markets. What do you, I know EU can be quite uh, well, very prescriptive and bureaucratic around the conditions that they will accept uh, you know, tradable food items being. What, how confident are you that we will be able to keep up with their requirements to make sure that we're delivering what they expect? Well, I think that's a very good um, question. Uh, and the FTA builds in some procedures to enable us to do that more effectively than we might otherwise have been able to do because it puts in place a whole lot of consultative and other arrangements, which basically, you know, obliges the EU to consult with us on different aspects of their policy. And you're right that there's a whole load of uh, uh, legislation and regulation coming out of the European Union that can affect our exports in different ways. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, we have a lot to gain from engagement with the EU on these sorts of things. But let's make no mistake, the way the EU approaches regulation is quite different from the way New Zealand does. And that is going to be a very big challenge for us uh, in the context of this agreement going forward. Uh, and, um, you know, to the extent that we can find a happy place between the these two competing or visions uh, is going to be a key determinant, I think, of the way this agreement can be turned into value All in right. New Zealand. Yeah, talking about this big uh, free trade agreement, tariff-free access to 27 countries. Gosh, it's a lot of countries, isn't it? Um, but not all happy, though, Stephen. The meat industry disappointed with the outcome for its producers. They'll get up to $120 million worth of new annual export revenue on day one of the deal. Yes, and this is the point, Wallace, I think, that for those sectors you mentioned earlier, you know, kiwi fruit and honey and wine uh, and manufactured goods and uh, services, that this is a very good agreement. But for our two largest export items, dairy products and beef, the, the, the outcomes are very modest indeed. Now, it was never going to be the case uh, that we were going to find, 
you know, complete satisfaction with the EU <clears throat> on these products, precisely for the reasons we've just been talking about, a different vision of regulation, a different vision about the role of agriculture and all of these things. The EU has been our competitor uh, for a long period of time in these areas. But one might have thought we might have been able to do a little better. Uh, you know, um, the, 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 what we have got for dairy and beef is a very small percentage of EU consumption of these products. Uh, their quotas still, uh, they have in-quoted tariff rates uh, that, you know, may or may not be problematic. <clears throat> but generally speaking, to be able to access these advantages in Europe, which is, after all, somewhat distant from New Zealand, you're going to have to invest a lot of money to be able to make these things work. And whether that's worth it for this small amount of product uh, is an open question. So, yeah. you know, I think uh, the government will say, and I know they are saying, that they've done the best that they could do, that this was the time to get this agreement. I accept all that, but you can't help feeling a bit disappointed for our two largest exports, uh, export um, sectors that are going to get access for, uh, to rather small amounts of, of additional product. Stephen, thank you. Uh, very much. That's Stephen Jacoby there, uh, the Executive Director of the New Zealand International Business Forum. Our Monday question uh, is very, very simple, but uh, amazed at the response. So thank you for that. Uh, we talk about this towards the end of the show. So keep that coming. And that is, what band came to your school? Here's one. Uh, Zia says, at Birkdale College, we had the mockers. Ten years later, I saw them again in London. Another one here, third form, Otago Boys. The Netherworld Dancing Toys, they were seniors at the same school. They played for the whole school one time in the brand new auditorium. They were so good, says Guy. It's, uh, I think that uh, Mark's got uh, some memories of that too. 18 past four, the panel. RNZ's education correspondent, John Gerritsen, has put together an item about online platforms in schools with one researcher recommending caution over schools' growing use of online platforms and videos for teaching. Although teachers talk to said that tools such as video tutorials were useful and helped them ensure classroom time was used well. So is it just another way to learn, say, maths, or can it overly be relied on? Dr. Lisa Darrow from Auckland University has been studying the use of online platforms and apps for maths teaching. Dr. Darrow, welcome. Kia ora. Thanks you, for having me on your show. Oh, it's a pleasure, uh, Lisa. You said before the pandemic you were quite stunned by the widespread use of online platforms in New Zealand schools. Yes, I mean, basically, this is because I had recently returned to New Zealand from um, a short time overseas. And in that time, that the three years I'd been away, there'd been a massive growth. So when I, I came back and was reacquainting myself with New Zealand classrooms, this was the most noticeable change that I saw in our, in our country. Dr. Dara, is there a risk that if a, a child is um, failing to understand, they're sort of going to left be left further behind by the teacher not being in the equation? There's not like a feedback loop? I mean, I would say that the teacher is always the most important person mm. in, in the child's learning of mathematics. And uh, yes, I think this is one of the reasons that you don't want to leave maths teaching up to these programs. I would say the the marketers of these these kinds of programs they they would claim that 
they are providing uh, personalised and individualised programs that absolutely cater for where the child is at and you know, make sure that they meet the child and advance them in their mathematics learning. That would be their claim. Mm. But, I mean, I think you always have to look at, at both sides of the picture and really consider, well, what's the flip side of that? You're going to have a, a, um, an educational experience that's not very personal, it's not very based on community, it's not really based on place, which I think is something that we really aim for in, in our teaching. I guess I can see some merit uh, from you know having this as another tool in the kit bag, especially when dealing with different learning styles that children may have. So some may be better with this than others. But do you think there's a danger this may just become the default? Yeah, that's. I mean, this is what principals and, and head of mathematics say in, in schools that have taken up these programs, is that it's just a part of the program. It's just one small part of the program and, you know, one of the tools that, that can be used. Uh, I, I would always be worried about it taking over mm. the um, the teaching, but I think more to the point is if this is if they're going to be just a small part of your program, you need to consider the cost versus benefit because a lot a lot of these programs are very expensive, mm. and so you know you might pay thirty dollars per child for a subscription um, just for the one year, and that's quite a, a huge chunk out of a school's budget or a family's budget if it's uh, passed on to the parents. Is there a risk too, um, especially with the su- STEM subjects where we're really struggling to find specialist subject teachers, that you'll get teachers who think this is a way to get around the fact they might not feel they understand that subject? Well, possibly. I mean, this, these programs could, on the other hand, be something that teachers use to help upskill themselves. You know, they can um, find material on the programs and then sort of use it to upskill their own math teaching. I would be more worried about a situation where you end up having very large class sizes with one teacher managing the large class and all the students doing most of their work on a computer. That's that would concern me a little bit more, I think. There's a bit of feedback on this one. says, uh, bring back old-fashioned worksheets. There's a huge over-reliance on YouTube and apps, and often they're not relevant to the teaching levels happening in class. Mind you, uh, Dr. Dara, worksheets, that's quite old school. Yes. Um, in some ways, some of these these online programs are basically fancy worksheets, you know, worksheets with a few extra bells and whistles, Mm -hmm. you could argue. Um, But I have interestingly spoke to a number of students who have also said there's something about the writing with a pencil on paper that they really like. So I'm not... I'm not. I'm not sure what that is exactly that they're they're attracted to in that in that situation. Just just finally, uh, Dr. Dow, we're talking about the, the the use of online platforms and apps for uh, teaching, uh, including maths teaching. Do they work? But it's really difficult to answer that question, and I I'm not aware of any large studies that have have sort of looked at whether they work and it would be very difficult to do a study like that because you'd have to factor in the different teacher quality at any classes that are using the programs or not using the programs. I mean I think they can work but they don't necessarily in and of themselves work. I think still the teacher is the most important determiner of whether 
a child is going to learn mathematics in any classroom. And that's and that's really the crux, isn't it, Mark? It's it's that relationship with your teacher. And we know, we can recall the, the, the good maths teacher or the mm. good history teacher. I think it is horses for courses, and there's such a diversity of learning styles. And, and I think, you know, the old days, it was like one size fits all. So I think having different techniques with different children is going to be obviously beneficial because we've all had, well, I know I have had in my life, many horror stories with teachers who didn't really get the way that I learned things and you know it was quite problematic um, but I think you know this is this is an option absolutely but I, I don't think it should become the default and as Dr Darris says that the teacher interaction is obviously the most important thing. Very good. Uh, Lisa Darra Curran nice to have you on the program. Thank you very much. This is Dr Darra from Auckland University who's been studying the use of online platforms. What, I, what did I, I had a times table chart mm, and I learned it by rote. We had to do that. Lots of charts. Yeah. Seven nines. 64. <laughs> Gosh, you're putting us on the spot now. <laughs> no, the only thing we ever did with a video of any content was actually Balmacuan Intermediate School going along to an info night with my parents to watch a sex education movie. It was the worst experience of my existence. It was hideous. What can you recall of it? Just being utterly embarrassed and sitting between my mum and dad watching videos about what was happening in our bodies biologically. It was quite traumatising, to be fair, but, you know. And was it like a, a picture of a flower or a bee? No, no, no. It was, it was actually a bit more... It was quite scientific, actually. Um, there probably were a few euthanistic themes going on, I'm sure, but, yeah, it was, um, it was something I've never forgotten. PTSD. <laughs> My son needed number works help extracurricular, and that was 10 years ago. Not sure of the benefit of teachers is this person's view. Um, and uh, a big response to what's the band that came to your school, and you've always remembered it. Um, the Mockers played in our school dance in the gym of Ashburton College 87. We all had, all had to take our shoes off to protect the gym floor. I painted my nails with black polish to be like Andrew Fagan says uh, Nicole. It's 26 past four. The panel are NZ National. Now, we didn't have time uh, to have uh, Mark North Thomas's I've Been Thinking. We had Joe's, which, by the way, we've had a bit of response, and we might actually return to this in the week, because um, Joe talked about uh, the problem of getting tickets to the World Cup. Uh, someone says, I was going to go to one of the World Cup games, but now as I can't be bothered downloading a new app and then working out how to get it on my husband's Samsung, I don't want to go that badly. Anyway, Mark, I've been thinking. Well, a lot of people you speak to at the moment are all feeling a bit down at heart, a bit down at heel, I think. And, you know, the country feels a little bit adrift. Um, we're having that awful pre-election phase of paralysis where decision-making sort of seems to go on the go slow. And this is against a backdrop of a recession, a spike in crime, high truancy rates, a very wet winter, including today in Auckland where we've had, I think, 40 seasons in a day, if there was such a thing. Uh, retail's come off the boil. There's huge pressure on mortgage uh, payers with repayments doubling in some cases. It is getting a little bit ugly, to be fair. Um, and we always need something or some glimmers of positivity to cling to. So I did a straw poll in the office this afternoon, and I said to my team, so what are some positives in New Zealand? right now and there really was this radio silence so I thought what this can't be right so um, some quick wins for all of us to celebrate and rejoice is that spring isn't far away 
and which means the warmer weather, the weather will get better. Uh, the election will actually pass and things will settle again eventually. Uh, We've just signed this FTA with the EU, which is a you know great for great for lots of sectors. Uh, Lizzo is doing a concert this month, which is exciting. Amazing, and, you know, that's amazing. amazing. The FIFA will uh, World Cup is on its way very soon, with many tourists flocking in, which is going to be a huge boost for accommodation, retail, and hospo. Uh, so, really, all in all, we might be having a bit of the doldrums, but there are always always some positives to look forward to. And I can add to that my own personal one, which is Ayana came in in the last news break and taught us how to do the nut bush. Yes. So we'll yeah. now know that forever. Very talented producer, Ayana. She can do the nut bush. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very, very impressive. And we all talked about the dances that we used to do. Uh, me, the disco duck, uh, because that was the late 70s. It was disco. Um, but I, I love good line nuts. That's a great thought. Mark, Always it's a really great thought. Yeah. What's the silver lining? What's something? Here's another one for you. The state of origin could be coming to New Zealand. Awesome. What's What's another one for you, Joe? Um, spring is quite a big one for me. And um, I saw my first daffodil yesterday. Actually, I think, oh, bro, you're a bit beautiful early. One. There a bit you early. go. <laughs> <laughs> 2101, can you wreck your brain with just a simple, simple positive amongst all the bloom? Me, State of Origin, New Zealand, uh, Mark North Thomas, Lizzo could be coming. Um, uh, <laughs> Joe McCarroll was in Mad Max 3 and saw a line dance live here by producer Ayana. There's got to be more. What a day. I'd what a time to, know, to be actually, alive. I bet there'll be a, a spike in searches tonight online trying to find Mad Max 3. Is it on Netflix? Is it on Prime? Um, we want, everyone wants to ask you, if we saw Mad Max 3, can we see you in it? Yes, you can. I look very similar to how I look today. So Brilliant. if you are someone who knows me, you just look out for me. I'm there and what's the, the, what's the scene? What's the scene? Um, the children who live in the desert, <laughs> the lost ones who came in the plane. Brilliant. Because <laughs> of the, the pocket clips. <laughs> That's a little Mad Max 3 reference for you if you're, okay. a, if you're in there. And, and were, you, were you directed by the great director? Yes, I was cast by George Miller. Wow. What did he say to you? Well, I don't recall particularly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, we, we, I went and stayed in um, the Blue Mountains to make that when I was a little girl. And I, we were looked after by uh, chaperones because my parents stayed in Sydney where we lived. Were you paid? Yeah, I was paid lots. To me, I mean, I was, didn't have much money back then, but it seemed a lot of money to me. Brilliant. Did you ever know that Mad Max 3 was going to be the hit it was? No, not really. I don't think I gave much thought to it. I, I remember Mad, um, not Mad Max, I remember Mel Gibson wandering about and... Um, people thinking that was a big deal, but I didn't really. He just looked like some other old grown-up to me. Extraordinary. What a great story there, uh, Joe. Uh, uh, someone says, yes, uh, another wee silver, uh, little positive here, Matariki, our own of unique public holiday. Very cool. You're on the panel, RNZ National. We have Joe McCarroll and Mark Thomas. Stay with us because we are talking at the end of the show about the bands that came to your school. Text me 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz.